Welcome to Evidence-Based Aesthetics. And now your hosts, Kristen and Dr. Larry Group. campers day three of evidence-based aesthetics quarantine club at camp coronavirus today we're going to talk about all things ppe are you done with ppe you know me anyway uh since we've donated all of our ppe gear i decided to make my own in honor of those brave hospital people that are having being forced to make their own ppe so let me see if i can get this thing off hang on Okay. <laughs> better. So much okay. better. Uh, Nacho Libre. <laughs> Needs to take the mask yeah, off. Yeah, <laughs> I've, I've requested that the Mexican National Federation of Wrestling donate their masks as well. Um, I got my motorcycle gloves on. Uh, I'm in, illustrating this to make a point that our friends and fellow clinicians who are working in the hospital on the front lines in the ERs uh, dealing with this. SARS-CoV-2 outbreak uh, cannot get enough PPE having to make their own. So we're going to talk about all things PPE today and maybe some other topics. Um, like every episode of Evidence-Based Aesthetics Quarantine Club at Camp Coronavirus, I'm Dr. Larry Group, my wife. Chris Group. And here's what we are going to do. We're going to use evidence-based resources to discuss the coronavirus. We're going to cough a lot. <laughs> I'm on it today, I'll tell you what. We are going to try to entertain ourselves for 14 days. We're down to, this is day three for us, and hopefully edutain you. Uh, we're going to debunk myths, bad advice, and weird science. Uh, we're going to talk about aesthetics for all of you st stuck at home, not seeing patients. We're going to whine and complain about silly policies that don't match up with peer-reviewed research. We're going to drink Corona beer. Woo. By the end of this 14 days, I'm going to be so tired of Corona. <laughs> I know. Never drink it again, probably. Who knows? We're going to shamelessly promote our Steri-Stamp home device with coronavirus coupon savings with a large portion of proceeds going to provide PPE to local Arizona healthcare providers. Super important. I, I'm going to constantly reinforce the fact that there's a shortage of PPE. There's providers in your community who are having to either make their own, reuse a mask, wear a mask for several days in a row. All this stuff is dangerous. We're going to talk about why. So if for some weird reason you're still thinking about practicing and you have some PPE, please consider about just staying home and donating your PPE to those who need it for critical care people, people who are on ventilators, people who are super sick. They have comorbidities like uh, cardiovascular disease. You know, this is a life and death, life and death matter. I'm trying to have some fun, but at the same time, this is super serious. And what we're going to see from the response from our federal government, CDC, we have some conflicting ideas about who's responsible and how do we fix this problem. Okay. Here's what we're not going to do. We are not going to pretend we are experts on anything except Corona beer. We are not going to engage in political talk, although we will be bringing attention to the information, misinformation disseminated by our government. I will say that if we talk about <coughs> President Trump, this disease, COVID-19, SARS-CoV-2, SARS doesn't care if you're a Republican, a Democrat, or an independent. Socialist, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter of those things. It will attack you just as equally. So we don't really care about any of this. We just want to have, no matter who's in the White House and who's running the show, that we do the best we can for our fellow health care providers and, of course, the public in general. 
we are not going to offer unsubstantiated opinions without clearly pointing out it is our non-expert opinion. I will say, Imho, and I will say then it's my opinion. I do have some opinion stuff I'm going to talk about today, but most of what we're going to be st sticking with is the straight up research on PPE, okay? Let's get Quarantine Club started. Okay, first thing I want to do is I'm going to read some headlines that are from the last 12 hours in the news cycle, okay? I'm just going to read the headlines to give a sense of what's going on with this PPE stuff, okay? Again, this is this peer-reviewed research, Chris? What, the articles, the headlines? headlines? No. No, I'm reading the headlines, but this gives you a sense of what's being discussed out there and what's being put out there and what the problem might be and then what, what can we use for the research to show one way or the other. What is the extent of the PPE shortage? Does PPE work when we're talking about SARS-CoV-2? Um, if PPE does work, can you reuse it? Things like that. Those are important points to, to tackle. And these are headlines. These are not your own opinions. Right. This is these not are, I'm just reading the headlines. headlines that I gathered in the last 12 hours. Okay, here we go. Of Minnesota's 169 coronavirus patients. Now, when they say 169 patients, that means people they've tested positive. 34 of them are healthcare workers. Richard Pollack, the CEO of the American Hospital Association, told CBS, if we don't protect our healthcare workers, the system will completely collapse. What does that mean? The what health, system are we talking about? We're talking about the healthcare system. If You're we, not talking if about the, Netflix or, or is Apple, uh, is if the, if Apple the healthcare Play? System, if, the, if the healthcare workers can't work because now they're sick, there is no more healthcare system. So what happens to all these people that show up to the hospital? There's no one to There's take, care, to of take care of them. This is a huge deal. This is what we're seeing in Italy right now. Yeah. Right? So this is the real focus, the real tip of the spear, the, the problem that we have to all deal with right today is protecting healthcare workers. I tomorrow I'm probably going to get into the different what we could have done differently based on what other countries are doing, like South Korea, China. But we have our own political system, we have our own rights and freedoms and things like that. I will tell you that Belgium looked at, Belgium's a democratic country, right? It mm -hmm. looked at South Korea and China and decided to force people to stay home with police and, and military on the streets to make sure no one left their houses. They used, they cited the fact that they were able to flatten the curve significantly in South Korea and China based on that particular response. I'm not advocating for that response one way or the other. I'm just saying, if we're talking about we're leaving people's rights, we're leaving the, the fact that Americans love their freedom, I'm one of them. Um, there are responses that could flatten this curve. So if we're not going to do that, what are we going to do instead? Back to the headlines. Due to the shortage, healthcare professionals at many facilities have been told to wear bandanas and scarves instead of instead when caring for coronavirus patients. That's horrible. I have a bandana. That I got my old Harley one that would work. Please tell me how that's going to keep a virus that's what size, guys? What size? 120 nanometers? It's not. Some of these surgical masks are 12 to 15 layers and they don't keep it out. So how is the bandana going to work? It's not. I don't know. We're just going to find out. Here's another one. ICE, the ones that do immigration and customs enforcement, put in an urgent request for a N95 mask for field agents. So they're still out there rounding up um, illegals. illegals and people that are uh, undocumented citizens. But and they're they, not they have an urgent request for masks. Because they're still out doing that. That now again, I'm not going to get into the whole. 
whether or not the, the uh, immigration debate. But what I will say is the N95 mask for a field agent that doesn't need to be doing this right for these two weeks really supersedes a, a hospital who's working on the ICU patient. Yeah. Just something to think about. Again, not answering my own question, just posing it for you guys to answer. Okay. Initially, we had single-use N95 masks, says one nurse who had been treated, treating COVID-19 patients at Cape Cod Hospital in Hyannis, Massachusetts. We now reuse our N95s five times before discarding. The eye shields she uses are also meant for single use, but nurses are being asked to wear the same eye shields for 12 hours. We're bringing them between different patient rooms, which isn't exactly ideal, she says. Again, we're going to discuss, is that a problem? Going Wearing PPE, being in a contaminated environment, going from one patient room to the other with the same PPE on. Okay. The United States counts on receiving the vast majority of its medical supplies from China, where the coronavirus has infected more than 80,000 people and killed more than 3,200. When Chinese medical supply factories began coming back online last month, their first priority was their own hospitals. The most recent delivery of medical-grade N95 masks arrived from China about a month ago on February 19th, and as few as 13 shipments of non-medical N95 masks have arrived in the past month, half as many as arrived the same month last year. So, whether you know it or not, whether you are a huge buy American person or not, the vast majority of our medical supplies comes from China because of cheap labor and cheap materials. And right now, China, because of their own crisis, their own crisis that is now starting to become over, or when their factories are starting to fire back up, they're restocking their own supplies before they send anything to us. Okay. An ER, again, I'm going to keep on reading this because this is the, the focus of today. An ER nurse at New York City Trauma Center says the protocol at our hospital is truly changing every hour of every day in terms of what we're wearing. She says the original protective protocol for nurses at her hospital included wearing an N95 mask layered between another mask, layered between a disposable face shield, which was to be discarded after treating each patient. Now it's definitely getting more drastic, even just within the week. She said, we got an email yesterday saying that we have one mask to keep for our entire shift and that we should bring it home with us. That's gross. That's our one mask. I'm not sure for how long. So you're going to bring it home with a virus on it and infect everybody in your home? Maybe. I don't know. We'll find out. In its guidance, the CDC says that homemade masks are not considered PPE since their capability to protect eight healthcare providers is unknown and suggests that homemade masks should ideally be used in combination with a face shield that covers the entire front that extends to the chin and below and the sides of the face. Okay, next one. President Trump suggested in a news conference this week that the shortages are a problem for governors to deal with. Quote, the federal, I'm not going to use the voice because as funny as I like to do those things, this is so not funny. The federal government's not supposed to be out there buying vast amounts of items and then shipping. Hence, you know, I thought we had what's called the strategic stockpile, but apparently that's not a real thing. Um, he said, you know, we're not a shipping clerk. Then on Friday, he said the government had ordered the production of millions of masks and that these would be delivered directly to states. He offered contradictory statements about the Defense Production Act, a 1950 law allowing the government to address supply shortages by giving direction, I'm sorry, by giving directives to industry to ramp up production, first asserting he had invoked its authority and then saying he had not used it because companies had responded voluntarily. Okay. Next one, at a North Virginia hospital, clinical staff said they, they, are using re, they are reusing old masks for the day or even the week and storing them in brown paper bags after cleaning them. Several workers say they were threatened with termination if they did not comply. 
Next one, head of FEMA, Mr. Gaynor said, I can't give you a rough number, he said in another interview on CNN, adding that governors should not depend on federal disbursements and should try it on their own to obtain masks and other equipment. Though Trump signed the Defense Act last week, Gaynor confirmed that the administration has yet to use it to order any companies to manufacture more products. He suggested that such a step wasn't necessary as companies are already stepping up. We haven't had to use it because companies around the country, donations, they are saying, what can we do to help you? And it's happening without using that, that lever, he said. If it comes to the point where we have to pull the lever, we will. Both in private calls and with the White House and in public interviews, lawmakers are insisting that time is now. That time was two weeks ago or a month ago. The time isn't now. We're already behind the curve. It's very true. All right. Let's talk about all things PPE. Excuse me. I got all kinds of coughing about to happen here in a minute. <coughs> no, I've got to take my hand sanitizer break. Because <laughs> you know what? A corona always fix coughing. It does. Who needs cough syrup? You got a corona. Okay. Good times. All right. All right. So next news article, but that this is going to be an actual resource, is that in a press White House press conference yesterday uh, with Dr. Fauci, uh, uh, Vice President Pence, and, and President Trump, um, we had Trump suggesting that uh, healthcare workers are wasting masks and that they should be reusing them and cleaning them first. So let's get to that resource, read it and talk about it, and let's move, our, move ourselves on from the sort of less researchy things to the more researching. It says, despite federal guidelines, Trump suggests sanitizing and reusing medical masks. Okay. The notion of something that's sterile, something that's disinfected, something that's been cleaned, cleaned are all different, right? If we all remember our lovely OSHA training that we have to do every year, something that's sanitized doesn't really mean anything. What we're talking about is something that's sterilized means that it's been either through an autoclave or some type of gas or gamma to kill all organisms, all microorganisms, including spores, right? Then we have high-level disinfectant that kills uh, that doesn't kill some spores, kills pneumonia, and number one uh, thing it kills is tuberculosis, right? Mm -hmm. Then we have intermediate level disinfection, which is a lower standard. Then we have low level disinfection, like what cavi wipes and cavi side can offer. Then we have cleaning, which is removing the, the, the sort of visible blood and dirt and, and things off of an instrument or off your hands. You're, all those things are done in, in combination. First you clean, <clears throat> Then you disinfect, and then if, if able to do so, you're able, then you can then sterilize, okay? When we use the word sanitize, who knows what that means? Okay, so what does Trump say? What are we supposed to be doing? It says, I have to tell you that throwing away of the mask, being in private business, the throwing away of the mask right away, they're throwing it away, Trump said during Saturday's White House Corona briefing. Um, there wasn't, from reading that statement, that's not actually a point. So all we can infer from that sort of not so grammatically put together sentence that doesn't actually have a point is that he's upset that they're throwing, they're away throwing the, mask. the mask away and that this infers that he believes that they should be sterilized. Uh, he then said, we have very good liquids for doing this, sanitizing the masks. <laughs> and that's something they're starting to do more and more. They're sanitizing the masks. Okay. 
So is that a real thing? No. Well, let's find out. Let's find out if it's a real thing. Because the CDC, in some circumstances, says that you can sanitize the mask. They don't use the word sanitize. They no. also have a very stringent set of requirements <laughs> if you're going to do that. Certain types of masks work with that, and other types of masks do not. That's why I said it's not real, though, because sanitize isn't one of the words they use. True. But we, I think we get what he's trying to say is, can we... Can we can we reuse, safely reuse a mask? Is that the question I think we're trying to get to? I'm a, I'm a healthcare provider. Can I take a mask, wear it, be it around someone who may or may not be presumptively positive for SARS-CoV-2? And then is there a way to sanitize, clean, disinfect, otherwise sterilize, right? Well, you have to, you have to, to the point. Let me finish the question before... I use it again with another patient. Go well, you, ahead. Ha you have to assume that every single patient they're coming in contact with regarding is is positive. Well, not because necessarily. Let's say they're working in a hospital and they're a heart surgeon, okay? And they're they're doing the stuff that needs to get done that is independent of of that, okay? That's all I'm saying. There, there are some still there's still hospital operations are going on right now. I know, in, but independent I, of COVID nineteen. I'm, I'm talking about the healthcare providers that are working directly with the, the heart surgeon is probably not working with. The, the SARS patients. So you've got a, a group of people who are working directly with the SARS patients. So close to probably 100% of their patients are testing positive because that's why they're in the hospital because you wouldn't have been able to get that far if you weren't positive. Well, let's just say that, okay, but this is assuming that, that the SARS-CoV-2 is the only pathogen we're worried about, okay? Right? What about other things? Like, just because we're focused right now on all our brains and minds and focus and we're buying up toilet paper and going through drive throughs and sitting here... We're all focused on SARS-CoV-2, but there are other real things like well, MRSA and, and pneumonia and influenza. and influenza and all kinds of bacteria, right? Mm -hmm. That are part of the hospital okay. environment. Nosocomial infection, right? So this PPE we're talking about, yes, we're trying to use it for the front lines of taking care of the SARS-CoV-2. We got to use it for all the rest of the hospital functions too, right? So can we just assume that if you're wearing PPE, there's a darn good reason for it. You're in a, a, a you're in a population that's vulnerable, not just to SARS-CoV-2, but you're vulnerable to other things. Or there's something really wrong with them, like uh, they need uh, emergency heart surgery. What about gunshot wounds haven't stopped, right? People having heart car attacks, ha car accidents haven't stopped, right? So all of these things. That means there, there's a demand for PPE. Okay, now. I like what you're doing. You're, you're, you're going to separate out those people that need things that aren't related to SARS-CoV-2, and we'll put them over here. I'm good with that. Let's just talk about the SARS-CoV-2 response in PPE. I, I'm with that. I, I think that argument is helpful when we're talking about what should we do, because this is what's driving it, right? This shortage isn't driven by an uptick in car accidents, right? No. It's because of this SARS-CoV-2. Okay. So your point, and what I think you're trying to say is, is that we have to assume that people that are going to these testing centers or going to the hospital, we assume they're that the reason they're going is... Because they're positive. Because they're positive. Or they think they are. They have symptoms, right? We don't know about positive because we, as we talked about yesterday, the capacity testing right now is 0.01% of the population, at least in Arizona. So um, we're, we're not, not only not just scratch... It, if we had like an iceberg floating, right? It'd be like in the Titanic when you just saw an, a, like a half of an inch of the very tip of the iceberg floating above the water. That's how much you were actually seeing of the entire iceberg that's hitting you. That's what 0.01%. It's so small, but the actual amount of people that are in the state. We're the only, iceberg's huge. And the amount of people that you can see that we're testing is so, so small. It's just the tip. Just the tip, indeed. 
So what, what are we saying? We're saying that, okay, the influx that Italy is starting to see, right, or is already being seen, is, is that they're overwhelming their healthcare facilities based on SARS-CoV-2. And that the people, the frontline healthcare workers, the intake nurses, triage nurses, uh, the people, the, the floor nurses, charge nurses, and, and the doctors who are going around seeing, physicians assistants, all the different people who are in a healthcare environment. Are there people that make, collect your money? Yeah, I mean, there's other workers. Are there hospital workers who do things like clean the floors and change the sheets? Yeah, so it's not just surgeons, right? It's everybody who's in the environment needs to protect themselves. Why? Is there some mandate from OSHA that says that hospital workers should be protected? Yes. Yes. OSHA, so protects, the law. OSHA protects the employees, not the employer. Right. That's so, their whole function. But which is fine. So what we're saying is, is that there's this disparity between what OSHA say must be done and what the CDC is saying you should do right now. OSHA says you should be protecting yourself the best way possible. The CDC and the White House is saying, hey, we don't have enough masks, so go ahead and wear bandanas. Go ahead and reuse the mess. When you have the president saying things like they're throwing them away, there's plenty of good liquids. I don't know how much liquid, how much experience does the president of the United States have with sanitizing, if that's a real word, sanitizing a mask. How much time in president school do they have for that? How much time when you're going to a press briefing did they say, we're going to brief you on how to sanitize your math with some very good liquids? Zero. Exactly. That sounded more like Bernie Sanders, if you think about it. It did sound like Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I get my, my, uh, my impersonations right. Okay. Very good liquids you could have. <laughs> that did sound a lot like and you're scaring me now. <laughs> we'll, we'll make the richest 1% pay for some very good liquids. <laughs> Just don't do the hair, okay? <laughs> yeah. I'm social PPE. I'm a social PPE socialist. <laughs> Free PPE for all. Oh, my God. Stop okay. it. Okay. What are we trying to say here? Let's talk about does, you know, let's talk about what PPE is being recommended. Okay. So we just talked about what the president said. The president said, hey, you should not be, you should be reusing this with these really cool sanitizing liquids. That we don't know Is about. that a real thing? No. Okay. Well, I will say that this, uh, uh, we're going to look at the different resources. Rather than answering it ourselves, we love to use research here because we're complete geeks. I just like to throw out random no's. Yeah. No. No. Never. <laughs> okay. This is an article that's called Use and Reuse of Respiratory Protective Devices for Influenza Control. It's done by the Institute of Medicine. I don't know if they're any legit or not. <laughs> the IOM is part of the CDC, okay? He's a part of HHS. Um, this was Reusability of Face Masks During an Influenza Pandemic Facing the Flu, Washington, D.C. National Academies Press. Um, this was done in 2006. This was after the whole... H1N1 and some different influenza things were happening and they were talking about this. So I have taken a giant thing and I've, I've cut this down into much, much smaller. Okay, so I'm going to read this to you because it's only a page and a half. And this is basically uh, the government's position at that time in 2006 about the reuse of face masks having just faced the influenza, an influenza crisis. It says, use and reuse of respiratory protective devices for influenza control. Right before I start reading this, is influenza bigger or smaller? It's bigger. Okay. Influenza, more serious as far as death rate or not? We don't know, we that, don't know that yet. That's the right answer, right? But um, the amount of deaths that we're getting, is, that, is influenza a significant or a serious issue with killing Americans every year in yes. this country? Yes. How many Americans do we think it kills? 
Anywhere between 30-something thousand yeah, It's about 38,000 to 80,000, depending on the year. Because that's a lot of people. There's a lot of is people. that higher than SARS-CoV-2 is right now? As it sits right now today? Yes. Death rate, yes. A lot higher by an order of magnitude. So, But it's also a longer time period true. versus exactly. a and shorter time you're period. You're 100% right. And we were just at the tip of what's going on. Because as we're going to talk, if it takes 11 days, between 5 and 11 days for someone to show symptoms... What we're reporting today could have occurred as much as five to 11 days ago. Yes. So we're actually looking into the past when we start reporting cases. Yes. We're looking five to 11 days in the past. <coughs> Excuse me. Corona time. Okay. Back to the article. Barrier precautions such as masks and res respirators are regarded as the last line of defense against influenza transmission. Public health officials may have to to recommend respiratory protection in the form of medical, surgical, or procedure masks, respirators, or both to protect healthcare workers and the public against an influenza pandemic. And there still may be a problem if supplies of disposable medical masks and respirators are insufficient. Thus, DHHS asked the IOM to consider reuse of masks and respirators designed to be disposable through design modifications, cleaning, and decontamination, or other means. So we're going to try to answer the president's recommendation. A lot of good liquids out there. How do you do that? <laughs> Beautiful liquids. But are you trying to do a crossover? Yes, that's a crossover. Existing recommendations and guidance regarding respirator or medical mask use. Again, this is coming right from our government. Most agencies and medical groups recommend one-time use and disposal of medical masks and filtering face piece respirators, or at the least, that a wearer change the device when it becomes moist. Ugh. Generally, <laughs> medical masks should be changed between uses and whenever they become moist. The Association of Perioperative Peri Registered Nurses recommends that surgical masks not be reused throughout the day or saved by hanging them around the neck or tucking them into a pocket for future use because the filter portion of the mask harbors bacteria collected from the nasopharyngeal airway and care must be taken when removing the mask to avoid contamination of the hands. We talked just a tiny bit about that yesterday, didn't we? Taking the mask off after you've breathed through it, the little filter pieces concentrating all the yuck you're trying to keep from going into your lungs, mm -hmm. right? When you touch that, you now can take whatever you touched and you can put it on a fomite, a surface, mm -hmm. right? Okay, so one of the biggest risks isn't necessarily um, if the air has, let's say, X percent. Let's say it has a 10 percent. That's a lot. Um, amount of pathogens in it. Your mask probably has a 60% because it's concentrated right on the surface of that mask. You touch that, touch something else, you're taking concentrated yuck and putting it on the fomite, right? Which is a table, credit card, your hair, your face, money, clothes, wallet, your locker, um, your wallet, just your car keys, your cell phone, all of those things, your right? Your glasses. Okay. FD, uh, again, I take this article and took it way down. FDA and WHO recommended disposal of FDA-approved medical masks after one use by one patient. So this is the FDA and WHO. They recommend disposal of FDA-approved medical masks after one use and by one patient. That's this why is, they're called disposable. They aren't hence called Hence the concept permanent. reusable. Right. This was WHO was from 2005. Can't FDA, be reprocessed. 2006. And that healthcare workers don a new medical mask or respirator each time they come into contact with a new patient. Not saying wear it all day, not saying wear it for an hour. Or a shift. Every time you come in contact with a new patient, even if you went from room to room, room to room, you've just done four masks. The agency says that 
Washing disposable medical masks will destroy their barrier properties so that they will no longer prevent infection. Thus, there is no way to disinfect disposable medical masks. This is coming from the FDA and the WHO, okay? What year was that? 2005, 2006. Okay. Okay. Has there been some giant change in mass technology no. since 2000? Are the N95 masks so much different than they were 10 years ago? No. 15 years ago. They're nearly identical. <coughs> okay. Manufacturers told the committee that currently marketed disposable medical masks are made of materials that are likely to deteriorate with standard levels of disinfection. Chemicals, heat, radiation. Because medical masks are intended for disposal and are submitted to the FDA with that labeling, manufacturers have no reason or incentive to develop methods for decontamination for disposal were recommended for reuse. Well, wouldn't also, if they were to change it, they would have to go back through their FDA clearance? Yes, they would. Because if they're saying we it's reusable, yes. We've, put our, <laughs> we've spent three and a half years going through the FDA with our device. So if you were to change it, which doesn't incentivize a manufacturer to make any changes because it's a pain in the ass. No, so you have to start all over again. I know. That's yeah. what it says. So, so it's a pain you basically in the start all over again. So you're going to keep just making the same three thing. Years, so. Yeah. Okay, so now I've cut down to, I've skipped down to where the, we're going to talk about <laughs> SARS. Now, why is SARS relevant to what we're talking about? That's what we're dealing with today. SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2 are, SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2 are very closely related, right? Yes. We talked about this for the last two podcasts prior to this one, that that the one primary difference that was pointed out by researchers is that SARS-CoV-2... Stickier. It was stickier. Its spike protein was 10 to 20 times more likely to bind to a cell than SARS-CoV-1, which we... But let's just, for the sake of argument say that SARS-CoV-1 and SARS-CoV-2 are equally transmissible, even though we've shown evidence that SARS-CoV-2 is far more transmissible. Okay. In the context of SARS, the National Institute for Occupational Safety, NIOSH, recommended that <coughs> workers wear any NIOSH-approved particulate respirator for protection if it has been properly fit-tested and maintained. You and I are going to spend a lot of time talking about fit testing. What that means is you put a mask on your face. You have to make sure that it's correct size and it's fitting your face correctly so that air leaks don't develop around it or all the yucks coming through the air leak. You have to fit test an N95 respirator. If you don't, its efficiency goes way down and the manufacturer says, you're not getting the 95% protection you think you are. You're getting a far less... Uh, safe level well and the problem is is when we're down to only a few masks everybody's going to grab whatever they can it's not going to fit their yeah face. size or not so it, if you don't fit test the mask it doesn't have 95 percent protection but we'll get into that okay it says the agency warns that once worn in the presence of a sars patient the respirator should be considered potentially contaminated with infectious material and touching the outside of the device should be avoided upon leaving the patient's room the disposable respirator should be removed and discarded, followed by hand hygiene. That's something I talked about yesterday, right? Mm -hmm. This is coming from the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, which is a U.S. agency. Okay. If a sufficient supply of respirators is not available, NIOSH and CDC recommend that healthcare facilities may consider reuse as long as the device has not been obviously soiled or damaged, creased or torn. Reuse may increase the potential for contamination. However, this risk must be balanced against the need to provide full respiratory protection to healthcare personnel. So they did, they did say in, in, a, in a time that you can't get 
or N95 masks because the supply chain's interrupted that you'd have to balance the risk of contaminating others with reuse. Now, was this was this done under, under, under the the condition of SARS or was it done under general conditions? That's under general yeah, conditions. Yeah, this was not related to the SARS. SARS was very specific. It said in the context of SARS, they want you to get rid of one mask after leaving that patient's room, okay? They, they were not talking about this reuse in the context of SARS. They were talking about it in, in, a, in a general environment. Okay. Here it says, also in the context of SARS, context of SARS, WHO recommends that disposable equipment should be used whenever possible in the treatment care of patients with SARS. Okay. So not wearing a respirator mask is a big no-no according to the WHO when it comes to dealing <clears throat> with SARS-CoV-2 and SARS-CoV-1. Okay, I'm going to keep going with this because this is answering our questions for us using research. And it's coming from our own government, okay? In 2003, SARS broke out in Canada and Vietnam as well as in Hong Kong, Beijing, and other parts of China. Gauze or cotton masks that could be washed with disinfectants or sterilized with high pressure and temperature. Use of masks by the public in addition to social distancing education on hand hygiene was found to be strongly protective and significantly reduced the risk of, of SARS. Okay. That didn't make a ton of sense. So let me see if, see if we got something else here. Here we go. It said, this is coming from, again, the same article. J-I-A-N-G. Zhang, in 2006, told the committee that there were several types of respirators and mask available in Beijing at the time of the SARS outbreak. These included 8 to 16 layer fabric masks, efficiency 20 to 60%, non-woven masks, 10 to 30%, Chemical cartridge respirators, 55%. 201-8 Zing respirators, 59.5%. High-efficiency particle respirators, 80 to 82%. Fine particle respirators, 96 to 98%. And the US N95, which were 96%. French medical respirators, 97%. <laughs> French one they outdid them. The French judge gave themselves one more point than the US, no different than the Olympics. According to Zhang, the filtration efficiency of respirators and masks used by healthcare workers was less than 17% for 12-layer fabric masks and charcoal respirators, 46% to 48% for disposable non-woven masks, and 95% for N95 respirators. Would we expect 95% for N95 respirators? Yeah, because that's the, the rating of it. Yes, exactly. Resistance to synthetic blood, resistance to synthetic blood was good for non-woven masks without pressure, but not for 12-layer fabric masks. Medical N95 respirators were resistant to blood penetration, but the industrial N95 respirators were not. Huh. Now, know how we're, how our Vice President Pence on three days ago asked for construction companies to be donating their N95 masks to hospitals so they can be used because they're just as good? They're not. Turns out, at least for when we're talking for about blood. blood. Now, we're talking about SARS-CoV. How much blood are we <coughs> How much blood are we talking about? Zero. But what about all those other, that other group of people who we're doing? So if we use up all the masks, right, for that, and we all we have left is these construction masks, and we say uh, cardiologist has to do interventional surgery or gunshot wound victims comes popping into the ER. Here's your construction mask for blood. What's the problem? It doesn't work. doesn't stop the blood. Yeah. So this is the whole reason why they have medical masks and not construction masks. Now, does that mean we shouldn't use the construction mask? 
No, but wouldn't it make more sense to put the construction mess over on the side of the non-blood people? Yes. Is that policy being put out there right now? No. Okay, so this is why we look at the research so we can develop the policy, right? Okay. Okay. As to resistance to microbial breakthrough, medical and industrial N95 respirators and non-woven masks were both effective. But the 12-layer fabric masks were not. So we're talking about the flat mask that people are wearing. That's what they're talking about, the 12-layer fabric mask. And they do make thicker versions of that, okay? Um, they have ones called duckbill ones that are actually N95 respirators. But if it doesn't say N95 on the packaging, what does that mean? It's not. It's not. So we're talking about a surgical mask versus non-surgical mask versus all kinds of different masks. We're going to get into the exact different mask. But again, I, I want to keep reading what our own government says. It says, summary and conclusions. Derrick and Gomersell tested the fit factor of multiple surgical masks defined as the average ratio of atmospheric to in-mask particle concentrations. Their testing showed that the best combination of five surgical masks provided a fit factor of 13.7, which is dramatically less than the OSHA-required fit factor of 100 for N95 mask respirators. What does that mean? What does that statement just mean? It means that the standard for N95 masks, when it comes to fitment or how it fits, most of these masks didn't measure up to that. So they're not going to be 95. Unless you do a better job of fitting them to their face, okay? The fit factor was 13.7. You're supposed to have a fit factor of 100 for N95. So a giant disparity between these, how these masks actually fit and how they were designed to fit. What does that mean? That's a training issue. That's an issue where we're not telling the healthcare workers enough or showing them that you have to properly fit an N95 respirator mask to your face. It has to be the appropriate size to start with. And once you have the appropriate size, you have to bend it and fit it and mm -hmm. form it to your face to make sure that it doesn't leak. Is that a problem? Well, yeah, if they're, if, if they're using one that doesn't fit correctly, that 95% is going to be greatly lowered. That's right. So we went from a fit factor of 100 to an average fit factor of 13. That's dismal. That's, that's, that's a training issue. And, and it's, it's like ending up with a mask that was home sewn. Or a bandana. Yeah. So you can even have the, the right mask, but if you're not tr trained or shown how to use this, or if you're issued a mask that doesn't fit your face to begin with, then what do you do? Well, here's your mask. Well, it's an extra small, and I'm six foot eight. Is that happening right now? A teeny tiny. A little mask. <laughs> I have a big mask. <laughs> I have a little mask. No, the, the issue is what? There aren't enough sizes to go around for different people. No, they're just so trying to just, grab what they an have. An N95 mask and an N95 mask are not equal. They have to fit the person's face. So there are different sizings of these. So you, you can see that. Imagine, here's a great example. You wear a size large glove, and then all they have are extra small. Does it work? No, you put your hands in this like this. Okay, well, the opposite. You have a size, you have an extra small hand, and all they have are extra large gloves. It doesn't work either because your hands slosh around. Slosh all around and move around. So what's the problem with this? Is that not only do we have just, if the mask was one size fits most, or one size fits all, we still have a shortage. But the big problem is, is they also have different sizes from extra small to extra large. Well, as they're talking about taking the construction masks, the problem is most construction workers are men and most of the nurses in the hospital are female, which means the mask that they may fit a man's face is not going to fit That's a exactly female's right. face. And what we do tend to find too is in the, in this, the construction type masks, they have less sizing. They have a lot more of one size fits all. Yeah. 
So is fitment, have you ever, you know, you've been through OSHA training and, and WISHA training and all that different stuff. Have you ever had your mask fit to you? No. I have twice in, in the amount of years that I've been practicing. <coughs> two times where we talked about it. <coughs> I think that's a great thing. I probably subconsciously do that when I put a mask on. I'll first bend the nose, then I'll make sure that I put my hand around it, then I'll breathe. I'll, I'll suction in. And there's a mask polar that have a leak, and then I'll blow out. And where the, the mask should pop off me as opposed to just let air slip off. Um, again, there's some, I don't need to recreate. N95 mask fitment because there's a gazillion docs out there doing it right now. Just get on YouTube, you'll find it. But it's super important that if you're a healthcare provider and for some weird reason you don't know to fit your mask on an N95 respirator, you need to do it. Does it matter if we fit test or or do fitment for uh, surgical or like a like a flat mask? No, it's not, not at all. It's, Why? Because there is no fit. To there is it. no it's fit because it's, it's flexible, so no. there's no way to get it to. That's no, just going to be a barrier. Exactly. Okay. Here's a summary and conclusion. Right. Disposable medical masks and respirators were not designed for reuse, and there is nearly universal agreement that reuse, even by a single user, should be discouraged except in the most extreme and dire circumstances. Are we in extreme and dire circumstances? We will be in about 10 days. No, we are right now. <laughs> there's not enough There's not enough masks, masks right now. Not 10 days from now, Chris. Right now, there's. I've read you how many article headlines, all these people begging to have masks. So the emergency isn't 10 days from now. It's right this second. Is it going to be worse in 10 days? Yeah. What's the problem with this? Did we? The question becomes, did we need to be in extreme and dire circumstances? We shouldn't have to be in extreme and dire Why? circumstances. Why? Because this, this article came out from 2006. We have experience with H1N1. We had experience with SARS. We had experience with MERS. We had experience with what, whatever else. Different. Why did, it why did we not stockpile these things correctly? Why didn't we not put enough behind? We have how many F-35 fighters and how many nuclear submarines? We couldn't have, if we don't make budget and we were missing one F-35 fighter, does the economy crash? No. Do we go into a recession? No. If there's not enough PPE then, and then the hospitals are overwhelmed, does our economy at least go into recession? Never yes. mind crash. So how is that not a strategic issue from Homeland Security? Why does that not happen? Now... Here's some people making some arguments about talking about the stockpiling of masks. Well, a lot of these masks have a five-year shelf life. Mm -hmm. And so what happens when it's past the five years? Well, if we stockpile them, they're all going to be good for five years. Well, they can run out. You can rotate them you out. You can rotate them out. But let's just say you didn't. Could you still use them? That's our next question. They're past the five years. Now, I will tell you right now when we get to this article that most of the masks that are in our strategic stockpile are expired. <laughs> I'm sure they are. So that means they were stockpiled how long ago? Probably two thousand. Which administration would have stockpiled those then? We don't know. I don't it, know. It, could it have been Trump's though? No. Not picking on Trump. Been, no, it's only been here for three years. He's only been here for three if years. We, so he could have been his. If he stockpiled it, we wouldn't be They in wouldn't this be expired, right? Okay. Yes. So again, when we talk about things like, and I thought ahead, way ahead, and I was the first <laughs> to make sure that China was shut down. Can't have sound like you're Bernie really, Sanders. You're really confusing. Can't get Bernie out of my head. I know you're. You're confusing anyway. me. Anyway. The problem is, is that we didn't stockpile those. We, we relied on an old stockpile. Those so I'm going to look at research now. Can we use expired PPE? That's a question that I actually got. Can you use expired PPE? We're going to find out because I'm down with PPE, expired or not. Okay. 
Here comes an article from February 28th. It says, Release of stockpiled N95 filtering face piece respirator beyond the manufacturer designated shelf life. Considerations for the COVID-19 response. This is before they were calling it SARS-CoV-2. I disseminated this down into just a few little headlines, okay? Here it is. It says, N95s that are the past their manufacturer designated shelf life are no longer considered NIOSH approved as all manufacturer designated conditions of use must be met within to maintain the NIOSH approval. So they've lost their approval. Okay. So far, what does that mean? We don't know yet. In times of increased demand and decreased supply, consideration can be made to use N95s listed above past their manufacturer designated shelf lives when responding to COVID-19. So they're basically saying, let's consider it. This preliminary information from the NIOSH study suggests certain N95 models beyond their manufacturer designated shelf life will be protective. Cool. The CDCs recommend the CDC recommends that N95s that exceeded their manufacturer designated shelf life should be only used as outlined in a separate policy, which we will eventually look at that policy. Okay. They looked at different models in this. The Kimberly Clark 46827 size small and the size regular may not be may not provide the expected level of protection to the wearer when past their manufacturer designated shelf life of five years. Kimberly Clark in 2018 issued a letter to customers regarding these models, reminding them they should be disposed of beyond their shelf life. One of those customers happened to be the United States government. Do you think they disposed of those and replaced them? No. Nope. Okay. It says, the respirators exceeding their manufacturer designated shelf life are only being released due to the potential urgent demand. Now, remember, this is February 28th. Due to the potential urgent demand. We couldn't have predicted this. China ran out of masks in, Italy ran in out January. Of masks. Well, Italy was in early March, but this is February 28th. We already saw that China ran out of masks, but we still think it's potential urgent. We could have acted, is my point. This is back in February 28th. We had this information and we did nothing with it except saying, I all don't know, well. all is well. Don't worry about it. Go ahead and go, go skip the lines and go eat food in California. Okay. In face of this emergency, the U.S. government believes that the respirators beyond their manufactured designated shelf life should provide greater respiratory protection than surgical masks, i.e. medical masks, so flat ones. Alone, improvised mouth and nose covers, bandanas, or no protection at all. Please note that surgical N95s are normally tested for fluid resistance and flammability. Okay, so are we worried about flammability right this second? No. It's sort of an issue, but you know, I don't think people are going to catch fire. Fluid resistance, is that a big deal? Um, yes. So there's two different parts of a mask. There's the part of the mask that, that's going to block the airborne particles, and then the there's the part the of the mask that's going to block the droplets in the fluids, okay? Mm -hmm. We're basically saying all bets are off on the fluid resistance. Now we're just talking about the filtration aspect of an N95 mask. It says, the CDC does not recommend using N95s beyond the manufacturer designated shelf life in surgical settings. Okay, that was on 28th. Now they're recommending using bandanas. <clears throat> so not even a month. Month later. Within, no, 28th, we've got, today's 20, so 24 days. Yeah. Three weeks. So we, we ran out knowing we were going to run out, and now all of a sudden you can use a bandana and do open heart surgery. Ridiculous. That might be, well, that might have been an, an, an oversimplification on my part, but it, it's sort of how I'm sure most of these healthcare providers are thinking like, 
why are we trying to save people's lives, doing the best <coughs> we can, and we don't have just the basics of PPE? We've known about PPE for, for, for years and years. After the last SARS epidemic, we should have, should have stockpiled and figured this thing out instead of disbanding the office that would have done that. To save what money? Look how much money we just lost. You guess how much this next... They're saying that the one the aid package that's in Congress right now as we're speaking today, which is Sunday, and it's uh, 15, 27 hours, is, the, is going to be close to $2 trillion. Do you think we would have had to spend $2 trillion on PPE no. to have enough? So... It's do we pay, do we spend a dollar now or do we spend eight million dollars or I'm sorry do we spend a dollar back when you when you could have or do you spend eight million dollars? It's like this isn't fiscal policy. This isn't you know they're acting like this is a great idea. And we're, we're trying to be conservative. We don't need to spend that money. Why do we need to give a capital gains reduction? Um, and why do we need to give a tax stimulus package and cut payroll taxes and do everything else? Why don't we take even just a tiny bit of that money? I, I, a one one thousandths of one ten thousandths of that money could have completely filled our supposed strategic stockpile of PPE, and we wouldn't be in this position. I'm not saying that the <coughs> virus won't run its course the way that it's going to run its course based on our own other policies. I'm talking about healthcare providers getting sick trying to deal with this crisis. We could have prevented it, and we didn't. Okay. Here we go. The CDC does not recommend using N95s beyond the manufacturer designated shelf life. Just said that. Here's what they want you to do. If you're going to use a mask that's beyond its shelf life, this is what the CDC recommends. Visually inspect the N95 to determine if its integrity has been compromised. Check that components such as straps, nose bridge, and nose foam material did not degrade, which can affect the quality of the fit and seal and therefore the effectiveness of the respirator. I watched and uh, read a, a headline when I was compiling these headlines, it's saying that that uh, uh, East Coast hospital got a huge shipment of masks in, and all the elastic bands oh, were were just disintegrated, so they didn't work at all. If the integrity of any part of the respirator is compromised, or if a successful user steel check cannot be performed, discard the respirator and try another respirator. What if you don't have any more? Users should perform a user seal check immediately after they don each respirator. Should not use a respirator in which they cannot perform a successful user seal check. What does that mean? If the CDC is saying that is, if it doesn't have a user seal, it's worthless. Yes. Okay, so, but wait a minute. But go ahead and use a bandana. Can you do, can you even do a user seal with a bandana? No, because the bottom's going to So what's flutter. the point of the bandana? Is, is that to give a, a false sense of security. A false sense of security. And that is my whole problem. Worse the, than not having the one. The point of this podcast is to get rid of false sense of security and give real sense of security by looking at the facts. Don't tell people the stuff that isn't true just to make them feel better. Well, it's better than nothing. No, it's not. It's, it's actually, actually worse. It's just as bad as anything else. In fact, it's probably worse because it's going to concentrate all that. Then you're going to touch that. Then you're going to spread that everywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here are the preliminary findings. Again, there's only a few things left. I'm just going to read this because it's important. So here's where they test things. 34 Kimberly-Clark units, 6.1% failed out of the 559 units tested. 40 Kimberly-Clark units, a different model number, 10% of them failed. Two 3M units, 0.16% of them failed. So 6%, 10%, 0.1%. So do we think, based on those numbers of failure of testing, do we think that a mask that's beyond its shelf life is effective? Assuming you can do a fit fit test. No, it is. It might be, but you have to do a fit test. Assuming, I just said, assuming you can do a fit test, does the fact that it's expired dramatically affect its its efficacy? 
No, they've done the testing. You got one at 6.1%, 10%, and 0.16%. That's pretty good. I don't the 3M one. Right. Yeah, you gave me a 3M one. But my, my point is, is that, so again, we're using research to establish policy and dispel myths and nonsense is coming out of different offices, right? So the, the myth we want to dispel is if a mask is past its expiration dates, it's no good anymore. The data would suggest through testing from our own government that that's not true. In fact, an expired mask still offers a very good layer of protection or a reasonable amount of protection. Assuming what? It fits. It can be fit tested. Okay. That's the big piece of this thing. Okay. All right. Let us move on. So I want to get into PPE some more. This is whole day is going to be on PPE. All right. One of the things that, one of the pieces of PPE that they're recommending are gowns. So I want to talk about gowns. I want to use, I want to go to masks last because there's a lot of info in masks. So let's get through the, the supposed easier one first. Gowns. So remember when we were talking about that persistence research, how long can SARS-CoV-2 live on a surface? Yes. Okay. So that research showed that the virus can live on a gown for two days. So what does that mean? You can't reuse them. How can you reuse? Well, why not? You can't. Because, why not? Tell me because, why not. Because it has a virus on it. If it has you're a virus on it. You're just going to take that to someplace else and infect that area. Is it better to have a gown on than not have a gown on? Let's be honest with that. I can wear scrubs or I can wear a gown. At least I have the barrier on me, right? So now the barrier is on, the, the, the infection sitting on the barrier, not on my scrubs, right? Mm -hmm. So it's for my own personal protection... As a healthcare worker, is it better to have the gown or not have the gown? Better to have the gown. For the purposes of spreading the disease to other patients, it's, worse. it's well, it's the same, right? Because you're either going to spread it on your scrubs if you had it, or you're going to spread it on. So at least it's providing some level of protection to healthcare workers. Yes? Yes. So, okay. So that's a good thing, right? So do we think, is, is, is that a, when we're saying you should wear gowns, is that a myth or is that something that's probably good advice? No, it's good advice. Right. It's, now, it should be required. Yes, exactly. Okay. Eye shields. What does the CDC say about eye shields and ophthalmological infection? Can this virus be transmitted through the eyes? Yes. Okay. We saw that through the persistence data. We saw that through, the, through, the, through that study in China of hospitals. Uh, we also saw that in several different articles talking about the fact <coughs> of, of detecting viral load in um, tears. They've had two different articles where they have, I could get into those articles, but I want to stick, stick to the mass. Um, if anyone's interested, I can send the articles. But they've actually found viral load in tears, which shows us what? It's the virus the actually in the eye and stays in the eye, okay? So don't cry on me, okay? Don't cry for me, Argentina. Sorry. Yeah, I got okay. this all day long. <laughs> this party right here is mine. Because I'll be crying over Stop. Okay, moving right along. Uh, masks. Let's get onto the mask. You can go yourself or the mask. They're both the same wonderful person. I watched the movie The Mask to prepare for this. Got a lot of good info. Huge, beautiful info for you. Best movie ever. When you look at the microphone, your eyes cross. <laughs> How do you know that I'm just not uncrossing you for this I don't for know. brief period of time? Okay. Here we go. Let's do resource 26. We're going to talk about masks. Okay, let's, let's, let's see 
basic information about masks now. What is the CDC saying? Here's the CDC PPE guidelines, okay? Hopefully you've seen this. I'm sure our wonderful editor Kyle is going to be putting this up on the screen for use watching for use for use guys watching the video, okay? It said in March 2020, the CD up, CDC updated its interim infection prevention and control recommendations for pe for patients of suspected confirmed coronavirus disease COVID-19 healthcare setting. So this is an interim. This is their latest and greatest, okay? It says, protect your patients and staff staff from COVID-19, the CDC's recommended infection control procedures. I'm going to read this, okay? So basically, the first little button says, screen all patients for new respiratory, okay? Great. Explore alternatives to face-to-face -face triage. Fantastic. Plan to receive patients via EMS. Cool. Upon arrival, consider limiting facility points of entry and establishing triage stations. Love it. Beautiful. Display signs on entrances about COVID-19 symptoms. Cool. I like this one. Consider installing a barrier such as a glass or plastic window to limit contact between triage personnel and patients. Couldn't we use that same barrier? You had this idea and I got this from you. Got it from you, mom. Um, going through a drive-thru, how hard would it be for drive-thrus to install a plexiglass barrier so that just you're limiting the contact so you can just have, put the money through, sort of like, like you're in the, a bank. Like the bank thing that used to the rollout yeah, and, and even at the that, pharmacy. But even that, even if they just use their hands with, with gloves on and to put the money through a little slot and, and, and stop that upper body contact, and wouldn't that stop, at least get, would stop, would it, would it stop the droplet part? No, but like the, the pharmacy. Well, it would, because I wouldn't be able to breathe yeah, on you. But the pharmacy, like when I go pick up meds and stuff, they put yeah, it in the, the drawer but that thing's and they expensive. push it out. I'm, it would take forever to get all, all these well, things retrofitted. The just take plastic. How about just plastic pl plastic wrap? Literally, take plastic wrap and roll and put it over the top two-thirds of the thing so there's just a little little opening at the bottom. Would yeah, that help? That would. How fast would it be to put plastic wrap? Five minutes. Why not do something like that? Don't everybody go buy the saran wrap. Yeah, let, here we go. Let, we have a run on saran oh wrap. Oh, my God's sake. Let the, let the restaurants use it. But doesn't that make sense? Yes. Restaurants have plastic wrap. Duct tape and plastic wrap. What's wrong with that? You can still see, you can still hear the person, but that droplet and that air exchange is being limited to the lower thirds. Mm -hmm. Could they wear gloves? Yes. They need to wear gloves. But could they? They should. Do they? No. No. They could, need to be taught. Could they wear masks? They Should well, the person at the cash register who's dealing with the public wear a mask? I don't My know. My opinion, yes. Except for the hospitals need them more. No, but the flat masks. Okay, just the surgical mask. masks. I didn't say N95 respirator. Okay. I'm just talking about droplet crap here. Yes. Because what is it? We're going to get to that. We're about to get to that. The purpose of those flat masks is, is that to protect the patient or the doctor? The patient. Right. It's, it's actually keeping all the yucky coming from the doctor away from the patient. Because you're, when you breathe, all the yuck that's out there is coming right through there. So the surgical masks don't do a ton. They, they, they're, they're more for, for keeping your bodily fluids and yuck in as opposed to keeping the yuck that's in the outside out. Well, that's your... one of the reasons they say that unless you're symptomatic, don't wear a mask. Right. But I'm saying to you is that why not look at the policy is... Why not, if we're just talking about the person who's interfacing with hundreds of people, today, I went to go pick up one of my motorcycle things and wanted to deal with that. I drove by a Dutch Brothers. Literally, not making this up, there's probably 60 people in line. It went out, around, 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 and came back out around. I mean, it was almost like they had a queue of the thing. It's almost like when they opened up uh, White Castle. Uh, White Castle, yeah. Same deal. I looked, I, I drove right by and looked. I watched the person running the thing, no mask, no gloves, interfacing within two feet of everybody. That per that one person is going to interface in With that hundreds. one hour, hundreds of people. Why not put gloves and a mask on that person? 
Because they're not thinking. I'm just saying, what when we talk about what, how hard would it be for the president? He, he, the president <clears throat> of the CDC, they came out with their own guidance that said, go through the drive-through. Right, if, and if you're a, a uh, if you're a drive-through worker, put Saran ran up to to block most of what you're talking about. Wear gloves and a mask and, and a surgical mask. How hard would that have been? How much money would that have cost us? <coughs> Five bucks. That's my point. Is that why can't we update policy? Why do we, well? We said that we're not going. It would cost us too much to print it again. Come on, just think, people. That's what the problem with this is. Okay, staying with the CDC. Okay, again. Receive airborne infection isolate. <laughs> Reserve airborne infection isolation rooms for aerosol generating procedures. Good luck with that. Here's the one I wanted to get to. This is from the CDC's guidance as of March. Healthcare facilities should provide respirators for fit tested healthcare workers during aerosol generating procedures performed with suspected or confirmed COVID-19 patients when a procedure is likely to produce coughing or sneezing and when strongly indicated for other respiratory conditions, e.g tuberculosis. When respirators aren't available, use the best available alternative, like a face mask paired with eye protection. Okay, you know what a face mask is, right? It looks like a welding helmet, sort of. Yeah, it basically, like a robber. No, no, not, a face, not, not like Nacho Libre. We're not talking about <laughs> this face mask. That's not going to do a lot for you, okay? You're going to look cool, but you're, it's not going to help. They're talking about a clear plastic face mask that like you, what wear. you wear when you practice. Dentistry. Yeah, I used to wear face masks all the time. And I could talk like, I am your dentist. <laughs> no! I anyway, dentist. moving right along. Um, is that good advice? Use a face mask paired with eye protection and a surgical mask. Better than nothing, it's better right? Better than nothing. Is, but did that, is there a darn thing that says use a bandana in there? No. So where do we get these bandana non bandana have, banana nonsense? I have no idea. That's like the worst advice bandana, ever. Bandana banana banana bandana. Anyway, I remember that song. It's like the name game song. Yeah, thing. yeah this anyway. is called the name game song. Actually. Oh, oh well, in that case. <laughs> Larry, Larry, time. Larry, Larry, Bowberry, banana, fana, Bowberry, me, my, mo, Mary, Larry. Bandana. Okay, here we go. Antonio Bandana. Anyway, use PPE according to guidance from your facility. Okay. Now, remember I was reading you some lines like this. Here's PPE. Here's some guidance according to your facility. Remember we talked about these things here? It says, we got an email yesterday saying we have one mask to keep for our entire shift and that we should bring it home with us. That's our one mask. So... Is it always the greatest idea to follow the bean counters at hospitals who basically say, hey, we got no more masks, so go ahead and take it home? No, they're not the ones that are in the front line. That's right. I, I guarantee if the accountants and risk management lawyers who are at hospitals had to wear the mask all day in front of COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2 patients and then take it home, and with their, and take it home to their house with their families, it, this policy would change immediately. This is money versus people's lives. What could we have done differently? The reason why it's important is because do you think this is a last SARS-type COVID-2 epidemic no. we're going to have? No. There's always going to be people in wet <clears throat> markets in China or wherever else this is coming from, and this is going to keep happening. And we, we never learned our lesson the first time. We didn't learn it from, we didn't learn it from H1N1 back in 1918. We, that one... I mean, how, does that have to happen in in a fifty year period for us, for it to be real? We didn't learn it from SARS-CoV one 
We didn't learn it from Earth. Didn't learn it from H1N1. Not learn, and if we don't learn it from this, then then shame on us. Do we not see that our economy was at an all-time high? Now, yes, there was this oil war between pricing that might have had some effect on dropping the economy, but not to the extent of, of losing 30% of the stock market. This is real money affecting real people's lives all over what? We could have done a better job. It's a freaking mask. Over Well, that's part of it. The, the PPE is part of it. If you collapse your healthcare system... You've pretty much game over for your economy, right? If you collapse it during a pandemic. I mean, right. collapsing it without a pandemic is going to be horrible. But collapsing it with a pandemic, now we don't have anybody to take care of the people that are going in for a heart attack or a surgery or an appendix or a car accident or anything like that. Not We don't have them for the SARS patient, but we don't have them for the patients that are already there. We only have right. a finite number of beds. Was it 100,000 beds or ICU beds in the United States? 65,000 of those are, I think, taken by regular patients. So do we have 35,000 beds in the United States? No, that's what happened. Remember, this is one of those times that I'm going to give my humble opinion. This is not research supported, but it would seem like that, you know, people are worried about, we need to stop, we need to stop the spread of this disease. We need to flatten the curve. What it seems, unfortunately, what it's, it's seeming like, and I'm not giving advice, I'm just saying is that the people who get sick early are the ones who are going to make it to the hospital beds. And everybody else is trying to do all the right thing. They'll, they may or may not become eventually sick, but if they do become sick, by the time that happens, the beds are already gone and the healthcare workers are already sick. So it almost seems like the people in the beginning who just did all that went to spring break are getting rewarded. And, and the people like you and I are self-quarantining and, and try doing everything in our power not to talk to somebody. And yet we're still freaking sick. If I were to get ill, really, really ill a week from now, will there be a bed for me? I would have rather gotten sick two weeks ago. At least I could have got in. Well, it's like being Again, in a burning building. Again, that's not building. advice. That's me no, complaining and whining. But it's being in a burning building, and the people that made it onto the elevator are the ones that are going to live. That's right. You shouldn't have got on the elevator. That's it. Exactly. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't shelter in place. Please don't get that. I'm not saying we shouldn't social distance. I'm merely saying though that if we just would have taken this virus more serious, prepared it way ahead, not not prepared when we heard about it, prepared for any pandemic. You need PPE for all pandemics, whether it be Ebola, uh, H1N1, or any of these bird flu, all this other stuff. Why did we not prepare for this? It wasn't that expensive to do it. We acted like we had fair notice about it. It happened in freaking December of 2019. How did we not, why did we just wait to the last second and now all of a sudden we, we went from go to the restaurant because the lines are down to don't leave your house ever until we tell you so within a matter of a week. Why didn't we predict that ahead of time? What if we would just would have said that a week ago? We would have said don't leave your house social distance two weeks ago. What if we would have done it in February? Would we have flattened the curve? Yes. But now I think so. But we can't test so we don't know where we're at, right? If you can the problem is, is that we look at like things like containment policy versus mitigation. Containment says that you can track the d disease and then you can turn around and isolate the people who have it and make sure that that with other social distancing measures that we we flatten the curve. We missed that window. I'm or sorry. This is, again, my opinion. We've missed that window to the point where we don't know who has it. The tests that people are coming up positive are from at least five days to 11 days ago. We're looking in the past by, by a week to a week to for almost almost two weeks. What's going to happen is in the acceleration phase is we missed our window for containment because we don't have testing capacity right now. You have the president saying three days ago, anybody who wants a test can get a test. And then we have a day after that having uh, the, the head of the Arizona 
as well as Dr. Fauci saying, you don't need to be tested and it's not gonna help you might as well forget about testing because it's not going to happen. How do you go from anybody who wants to be tested can be, we're doing a beautiful job, to you can't get tests no matter what. Even if you qualify, that's the weird part. Now I'm to the point where, okay, let's just say I lied and said I went to China and I have my own home respirator I got. Can I go get a test? No, I can't right this second. There's no test available. Now, they're coming online. They're coming online. By the time the freaking tests come online, this is a timed event, people. You don't get, the virus doesn't wait and say, okay, I'll wait for a week and a half until you can get the testing out before I infect anybody else. Fair enough. Cease fire. No, we already, we're already looking at the past every time we look at infected cases. So the problem at this point is, is that we're in mitigation now. We missed our containment. So all we have to do, we don't know where the, the cases are because there's 3 million people in Arizona and we tested, what, maybe 400 of there's them? There's 7 million people in Arizona. I'm sorry. There's, I'm sorry. Thank you for that. There's 7 million people in, in Arizona. under 400. We've tested under 400 of those people. We're not going to keep up with this. So we have no idea who has it because the only people we're testing are the people that are the sickest. And if we don't know who has it, we have no way, way of containing those people. So all we're relying on is that blanket social distancing, but it's got such huge loopholes in it. Go ahead and go out for any kind of medical reason. Go ahead and go to the drive-thru. Well, here's the thing. Go is, to the grocery if, store. If, go to the bank. If somebody is sick, and let's say they're at home and they know that they have symptoms, they might actually not choose to go to the grocery store to get groceries, but that means they're going to go through the drive-thru. So we're probably going to end up, and this is in my humble opinion, they're probably going to have more people who already have an infection going through drive throughs because they don't want, they're thinking they're doing a good job by yeah, not infecting that's people my point. in a grocery store. So they think they're doing their part. But the problem is, is the people that are working at the fast food aren't taking proper precautions. And that's going to be a hotbed of where this is being transmitted. Even if they were taking precautions, there's a high volume of, of contact within six feet, right? Say mm -hmm. they were wearing all perfect PPE. Does it work for everybody? Once it's saturated, it doesn't work anymore. They see how many, they see more people than healthcare providers do. Boom. It's one after another after another. Drive around if you really are bored and look at how many people are in line. I saw McDonald's was hammered. Everywhere I've looked, it's hammered because they, people are thinking based on the guidance, it says, try to limit your going out. So number one problem is, is you go to the stores and there's not much to buy there, right? But Number two problem is if people think they're doing the right thing by going through the drive-thru, in reality, they're getting within six feet of somebody who's just saw how many other people. I could get onto the whole things about restocking stores. Maybe I'll do that on a different podcast. But the, what's being put out by the thing is, is there's plenty of food. There's plenty of items out there. It's just a matter of restocking. And then you look at the news articles where they interview all of these people from Walmart and Target and basically saying, no, if we would restock it, if we had it, we just don't have it. So my advice is quit freaking buying up all the toilet paper. There, there's my rant for the day. Okay, let's get to masks. And then we're, once we're done with this mask stuff, we're going to be done with this podcast. Okay, here we go. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see what we got here. Mask. Doctor Group's on quite a few rants I'm on a today. Roll. I'm on fire. Okay, let's use resource thirty, kids. Okay. What, this came from the CDC. It's called <coughs> N95 respirators and surgical masks. What are the differences? Right? That's pretty helpful, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. 
What are the differences among these products? If you're watching this on video, uh, our wonderful editor Kyle will be putting this up on the screen. You have a surgical, medical, or procedural mask. Let's first talk about what that is. When you th when I say surgical, medical, or procedural mask, what am I describing to you, Chris? A flat mask. A flat mask, right? It does. Can it be fit tested? No. What is its job? Its job is to keep your germs off of the patient. Okay. When I see an N95 respirator, what am I talking about? You're talking about one that has a filter in it that's there to not only keep your germs off of them, but mostly to keep their germs off you. Okay, that's partially correct. Some of them have specialized filters. They do actually have N95s that are look like flat masks, but they're called duckbill. So they, you, they can be fit tested and then they come out as, as a duckbill. It looks like a flat thing. So those ones actually can be fit tested. The difference between these two is one can be fit the other one can't. That's the primary difference. Okay. And the other secondary difference is this, which is important, is that NIOSH has certified that they meet the N95 criteria. We haven't talked about what that criteria yet, but we're about to get to that. What's a surgical N95 respirator? I have no idea. Okay. So these ones actually have a filtering face piece, okay? Um, they are, they're specific to uh, having fluid resistance, flammability. Um, they have a little bit higher uh, criteria from NIOSH to be a, a, what's considered a surgical N95 respirator. Why do they have a flammability issue well, in surgery? Well, because they're dealing with oxygen. <laughs> yeah, there's all kinds of things that could happen. So we don't want these things to go on fire, okay? So let's talk about intended use for each thing, okay? So now we're gonna talk about first the surgical mask or procedure mask, the flat mask. A surgical mask is intended to prevent the release of potential contaminants from the user into the immediate environment. It is also used to protect wear from large droplets, sprays, and splashes of bodily fluids, okay? Let's talk about an N95 mask, but not an N95 surgical mask. Occupational, including medical, use reduces wearer's exposure to particles, including small particle aerosols and large droplets, all non-oil aerosols. Now let's talk about the intended use of a surgical N95. Can be used in any occupational setting where an N95 respirator is appropriate. Medical use where a sterile field needs to be maintained. Reduces wearer's exposure to certain airborne particles. Did you hear when I said sterile field? Mm -hmm. So are these sterile to begin with? Yes. That's the difference, okay? The surgical masks are sterile. Okay. The regular N95 masks may or may not be sterile. They also have some other flammability requirements. What is the purpose of a surgical medical or procedural mask? Barrier to splash droplets and spit. What's the purpose of an N95 mask? Protect from exposure to airborne particles. In a healthcare setting, protects from exposure to biological aerosols, including viruses and bacteria. What's the purpose of a surgical N95 mask? Protects from exposure to airborne particles and barrier to splashes, droplets, and sprays. In a healthcare setting, protects from exposure to biohazards, including viruses and bacteria. It's sterile versus not sterile. Why do we need sterile things in surgery? Well, because if we're opening up people, we have to make sure that everything in the surgery center is sterile so we don't give them any type of bacteria Okay, or so if there's a requirement that you're in surgery that you use a surgical N95 because it's sterile, can you reuse it? No. But why are we saying that we should reuse this? We can't. You can't reuse gloves. In a gloves, surgical environment. You can't reuse anything. Right. That's the problem. That's what these healthcare people are freaking out. Healthcare providers are saying, I can't believe 
you want us to reuse surgical N95 masks. Because they masks. never had to do it because they are taught not to but do not, it. But not just taught because it, it, infection, the risk of infection, no, nosocomial and, and just direct infection from, from surgical. What's right? nosocomial? Nosocomial means that you the hospital environment, the fomite of the hospital, means that because there's a high concentration of sick people, you can pick up a disease that you that you never even had from just touching the wall. That's why I hate going to hospitals. Right, but it's, it, that's what nosocomials mean. That means you're you're picking up the fomites, basically, are the issue, right? What were fomites? Mm -hmm. Surfaces that can contain and harbor yes. these things. Okay, good. Okay. Now we're going to talk about the face seal fit for all three types of these. So the surgical or flat mask, not designed to fit tight to the face. The N95, designed to fit tight to the face, creating a seal around the perimeter of the respirator to improve protection. Same with the surgical one, okay? User seal check requirement, flat masks, not designed for seal check. N95, required each time a respirator is donned. If you take it off and you put it back on, you, you need to do a fit testing. Okay, very good. Filtration, flat mask, does not effectively filter small, small particles from air. Is that important? Yeah. Why is it important? Because because we're telling very, people very right now that if you, don't, if you don't have an N95 respirator, go ahead and use a surgical mask. It will protect you from nothing. From well, from droplet and yes, spray. Yes, it's not going to protect you from the aerosolization. Because it wasn't designed to. No. Right. Okay. N95 effectively filters large and small particles from air. We're going to see if that's really true or not. But that's what it was designed to do. Same with surgicals. Let's talk about leakage. Leakage from surgical masks, the flat ones. Leakage occurs around the edge of the mask when the user inhales. So if you're going to breathe, now if you don't breathe, <laughs> you're going to breathe. If you don't breathe, the surgical thing. mask works fantastic. The uh, flat mask works fantastic. So you got to hold your breath for reload. Hold your breath, do the procedure. <gasps> Break the wrist, walk away. I said, I don't have COVID. Exactly. I held my breath for seconds. Thanks, Geraldo. When properly fitted and done, minimal leakage around the edges of respirator when the user inhales. So that's the leakage of N95s. When properly donned. I just like using the word donned. Done. Use limitations. One-time use for all three of these. It says, for the N95, single use. Should be discarded when it becomes damaged or deformed. No longer forms an effective seal to the face, becomes wet or visibly dirty. Breathing through it becomes more difficult or becomes contaminated with blood or respiratory nasal secretion or other bodily fluid from patients. Surgical masks are not designed for use as particulate respirators and do not provide as much respiratory protection as N95 respirators. Surgical masks provide barrier protections against droplets, including large respiratory particles. Most surgical masks do not effectively filter small particles from the air and do not prevent leakage around the edge of the mask. So this is our own government telling us, okay? Fit testing is needed to determine if a particular size and model of respirator provide, provides you with an acceptable fit. Fit testing is model specific. Before you wear a respirator in an occupational setting, you must be fit tested. Their emphasis. In each, in each respirator model you wear, Here's a question from, it's a, this is the FAQ section of this thing. Is cross-contamination a concern if using same mask with different patients in different rooms? The answer, yes. yes. Especially if the respirator was worn in a room with any type of aerosol generating procedure, or if the patient is suspected or confirmed with having the 2009 H1N1 virus. Remember, this was written at that time. Mm -hmm. 
did we did we see that the death rate and the transmissibility was similar to H1N1 or more? What with now? With, with SARS-CoV-2. You can't compare them yet because one was in the past. Right. But do we think they have similar levels of mortality? Yes. We don't know that, right? But similar levels of transmissibility? Yes, we see similar levels. of. In fact, we see that the H1N1 wasn't particularly nasty, but the SARS-CoV-2 is. In the 2009 H1N1, did it cause a pandemic? It did not. Mm-mm. But does is the SARS-CoV-2 causing a pandemic right now? I knew it for a long time ago. Yes. I knew that forever. I just kept January. it to myself. I always thought it was. Okay. Used respirators are considered... Okay. This is from our own guidance. Used respirators are considered contaminated and ideally should be discarded after each patient encounter. A user should never touch the contaminated front of the respirator with his or her bare hands. Hands should always be washed after donning and doffing the respirator. Well, then what, also, are you, what are you looking at, butthead? <laughs> doff. I said doff. doff. But what's interesting is they're also going to be disposed of in a biohazard bag. It's not like you can just set this thing down on a counter or, you know, in a locker room or something or in your in your locker. We fly. I don't remember any doffing <laughs> when I would with a mask. I live with him. You do realize this. Like, I get hey, I get you, this. Get your damn hands off my N95 respirator. It never stops. Send one. Healthcare facilities implementing steps to extend the existing supply of disposable N95 respirator by training personnel to reuse them. Yikes. Okay, here we go. This was published on October 14th, 2009 by Dr. Brousseau. It says, with the advent of the novel H1N1 influenza, influenza outbreak and the expectation of a second wave during the 2009 flu season, there's been considerable interest in the use of surgical masks <coughs> as infection control measures. Let me just get to the goody stuff here. I'm going to get, get to the good stuff here, guys. The filters used in modern surgical masks and respirators are considered fibrous in nature, constructed from flat, non-woven mats of fine fibers. Fiber diameter, porosity, the ratio of open space to fibers, and fiber thickness all play a role in how well a filter collects particles. There are three mechanical collection mechanisms to capture particles. One's called inertial impaction, interception, and diffusion. Inertial impaction and interception are the mechanisms responsible for collecting the larger particles while diffusion is the mechanism responsible for collecting smaller particles, okay? Getting into the specifics of how masks work. There's gonna be a graphic up on the screen called filtration mechanisms. Basically what we're saying is the big particles can either hit hit one of those fibers and get stuck on it. They can be intercepted and moved around and get stuck between fibers. But diffusion basically means that as the fiber is moving, as the little particles moving around, it's being pushed and pulled as it's trying to make its way through on the airstream. It's getting pushed and pulled around and, and bumped around to the point where it gets stuck against a fiber. This is how all of these cloth masks work and how all N95s work, except for cartridge type masks, okay? In all cases, once a particle comes in contact with a filter of fiber, it is removed from the airstream and strongly held by molecular attractive forces. It's very difficult for such particles to be removed once they are collected. Okay, these are the mechanical collections. Okay, I'm gonna make a point about this.
This gets into talking about how important fit is. I think I've emphasized that enough, right? You're really handsome. Oh, well, thank you very much. I wonder, though, are you going to let your facial hair grow to this whole series? Yeah. <laughs> well, tell me, we were talking about wearing <laughs> but jam jams tomorrow. I might just do it. She came in. She was right <coughs> on the podcast wearing, like, I don't even know what that, some hideous It was a great t-shirt. Shut it was up. It like, all stretched out from, like, 1927. It's what I wear at jams at home. Jam, jam, jams. <laughs> Um, the point of this particular article was the fact that, that how filtration masks work. The, one, the point I wanted to make is, is that if you use some sort of cleaning solution, beautiful cleaning solutions they have out there, very good, is that they ruin these fibers and this, all these three me mechanical mechanisms Aren't that actually work. don't work anymore. No. So, yeah, you might clean what's in there. True. But now it doesn't They're work in the future. Okay. Let's Could you put them the in an autoclave? Um, you know, you if you could gamma ray sterilize them, it would work. That's what I thought about. Like, because there is, I think it's in San Diego. We don't have our stuff. We have all of our um, cartridges gamma ray sterilized yeah. uh, for skin styles. But if you could take like a big load of them in a truck and take it to the, I think there's a gamma ray sterilization. Yeah, you know what happens in, to gamma rays when they when they when they get, get in contact with fine fine fibers? I don't know. They destroy the fibers. Oh, yeah. So it doesn't work. Okay. The only one that would work would be something like. Um, EO, EO gas, ethylene oxide gas. Hmm. You could put those in there. Um, the gas would probably not disturb or destroy the thing, and then you would actually have those clean again. The problem with EO gas is it's very toxic. So if any of that any of that gas were to somehow remain in the mask and you breathed it, you'd become very sick. So that's why they don't use EO gas. Okay. So I'm giving you all the possibilities that people have thought about and why they don't work. Okay. If there, now they they've had some some luck with UV. The problem with UV, I saw an article on it probably 10 minutes before we started this podcast. Thing is, is that I actually have some experience with this. When you're trying to use UV radiation, the problem is it doesn't penetrate. So the very surface of the mask gets cleaned, but anything that's made it through just a little bit, that the UV radiation doesn't make it to that. So that doesn't work either. Now they're, they're coming with, with, with different arrays and different ways of penetration that maybe they'll solve this problem. That's what needs to happen is science and technology and people in manufacturing need to very, very quickly, if, there's, if we have to reuse masks, what can we do to make these things work without destroying their functionality? And because if you think of the UV rays that are going to um, can sterilize or can kill things, you're going to be between probably about 300 nanometers to 400 nanometers, and there's such short wavelengths that they really aren't going to penetrate. They don't, and they bounce right off the fibers, and then... Uh. They, that, that's the whole issue is that these fibrous, these layered fibrous masks are designed to have airflow flow through them. What happens is if we looked at, at <laughs> as masks start to fill up with yuck, if you want to call it that, I could have used a much more technical term, but I won't, is it starts, obviously the surface starts to, to fill and then and then th that penetrates deeper and deeper into the mask to the point where the surface is so blocked, nothing makes it through. But there's definitely a penetration through the fibers of the mask that the UV rays are not going to reach. So you'll you you could take down some of the the viral or bacterial load on the surface, but, but some would still, still be trapped in there. We'd still be trapped in there, which is fine. It didn't make it through to you, but we'd still we'd lose efficiency. Okay. My point is is how much money would it take to take? Uh, you have to either use say you wanted to use ethylene oxide or you want to use gamma. Couldn't you have just made a new freaking mask for the amount of money? Again, poor cheaper. financial planning. Okay. Let's get to a couple more resources, and then we're going to be done with this wonderful podcast. Uh, let's look at 
I don't want to talk about lethality right now. I want to talk a little bit about mass differences. Uh, 28, right? Yeah. Okay. This is the last graphic that came from the CDC. And again, this is just for us to um, just review this. Surgical mask versus N95 respirator. Intended use. Let's just a little quiz. What's the intended use of the surgical mask? What does it protect you against? Transmission of bacteria, virus, and droplets. Blood. Fall. It always going to protect you against large droplets, splashes, and sprays, right? Okay. The surgical mask. Okay. Does it affect? Does it protect you against aerosol? No. Aerosol. No. Not at all. Okay. How about the N95 respirator? Does that protect you against some aerosols? Yes. Okay. Face seal fit. Is a surgical mask loose fitting or tight fitting? Depends on the surgical mask. If it's a surgical N95, then no, no, it's no, tight no. fitting. That's what I'm saying. Surgical mask is one thing. The N95 is the other thing. But there's a surgical N95. No, I don't mean that one. Okay. The regular flat mask versus an N95 respirator. Which one's loose fitting? The flat mask. Right. Fit testing is required for surgical masks. Flat masks. Yeah. No. No. Fit Fit testing is required for N95 mask. Should there be a user seal check for a N95 mask? Yes. Just the first time you put it on? Every time. Every time you don and doff. Exactly. I'm doff longer and I must break you. Okay. Filtration. Does the flat mask provide a the wearer with a reliable level of protection from inhaling smaller airborne particles? No. How about the N95? Yes. Okay. Leakage. Is there leakage with the N95 if it's properly fitted and donned? No. Very minimal, correct? Okay. Use limitations. Should you discard the flat mask after every patient encounter, according to the CDC? Yes. Yes. What do you think it's going to say about the N95? Absolutely. It says, ideally, it should be discarded after each patient encounter and after aerosol-generating procedure. It should also be discarded when it becomes damaged or deformed. It no longer forms an effective seal to the face, becomes wet or visibly dirty. Breathing becomes difficult or if it becomes contaminated with blood, respiratory, or nasal secretions or other bodily fluid from patients. That's the it in a nutshell for N95 masks. Cool. Okay. Thanks, Camper, for playing along with this. Now, I was going to get into some really esoteric research here, uh, although it was important. It was talking about the fact that the, the particle size that N95 masks were tested at the particle size in the N95 masks were tested at was three microns. Okay, I'm not gonna. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do this in two minutes rather than twenty. What is the size of the droplets of the droplet nuclei? Can they be smaller than three microns? Yes. So what's the problem with that? They're just gonna get through. They're gonna get through. That is our issue. I was going to spend some time on that. I'm not, but I just want to make a point that yes, you should. Because what I don't want to get is everyone say, well, if the, if the droplet nuclei can get through, I shouldn't even wear the surgical mask. No. You if you can have that. an N95 properly fit test it, make sure it works correctly, definitely wear it. It's going to provide some level of protection, probably pretty good. But we just need to be very, very realistic when we look at, at, at the research. The When we looked at earlier today and yesterday, the droplet nuclei size we found from, from that... Uh, Wuhan Hospital was what? Between 0.25 micrometers and 5 micrometers, right? 
the N95 mass standard is for three micron, three micrometers. So some of those particles are smaller than that. If they're smaller than that, is the mass catching them? No. No, they're not. So we still have some. Now, are we cutting the viral load down? Yes. That's always a, that's, that's important, right? But are we completely eliminating the viral load? Not necessarily. So this is that whole false sense of security versus this. Of course, we want to cut the viral load as much as possible. But we would also don't want to say to ourselves, well, there's no way we, we have a mask on, we're good. Okay? It's not about panicking. It's about being realistic. It makes us then want to practice the other safety pieces of things, right? Mm -hmm. Social distancing, the triage piece where you isolate these patients and do different things. I'm not going to get into how to route patients in and out of an ER. There's people here far more experienced than that. <coughs> but I want to point out that the research shows that N95 masks were designed for particles of three microns and that the droplet nuclei from SARS-CoV-2 has been tested experimentally and in, in real... Um, real data in that Wuhan hospital from about a month ago showing that these particles are smaller than that. I think what I got out of, of today is we are so heavily focused on testing right now um, that they're trying to ramp up how many tests are, and not saying that this isn't important, but a bigger, more pressing issue is the protective gear for yes. our hospital workers. If, if we're going to ramp up anything, that's what needs the ramp is the PPE for hospital workers. Because one, if you, if it's a virus, if you have a virus, there really isn't, unless you're in respiratory dis distress, there really isn't. Yeah, you get intubation no and ventilators. Yeah, that's what you no got. There's no cure for it. It's all palliative and, 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 then, and there's, there's, there's things to help you breathe. Yes. But, but that doesn't cure the disease. No. So the, the biggest thing that a private industry government needs to focus on is how do we get the proper PPE into the hands of the hospital workers. That is where our focus needs to be, not about testing. I mean, you're not going to get a test. I'm not going to get a test. I've already given up on the fact that I'm, I'm, you know, I think that I have a cold. Honestly, I don't think that I have it. I don't know though. That's why we have chosen to distance ourselves socially. Besides the fact that we didn't change anything in our lifestyle. Yeah, you know, um, you're an <clears> introvert <throat> when uh, you social distance and nothing changes. You know, it's, we go home. We go from work to home, home to work. Um, we're not even going to work though now. No, no, we're not. But as I'm saying, our, we don't have an outside really social life, so it's not something I'm missing. But what? I'm not going to try to get a test because it's not going to matter. But what does matter is our healthcare workers and supporting them. And, and, and making sure that the system doesn't collapse. Yeah. And what I'm going to implore you to do is if you have a med spot, if you have a medical office, again, we said this yesterday, it doesn't matter where you are in the United States. We got a list of some of the hospitals in the area that are not owned by corporations. Those are the ones that are more at risk. Um, I don't know. And, I think everyone's practices. at risk at this point. But yeah. But they don't have, I mean, everybody's at risk because they can't buy them. So the big hospital systems out here have money to buy them. But then we've got these other hospital systems that don't have money and don't have equipment. So if. Well, I, I would point one thing out is it's not about whether or not they have money to buy them. It's They're not available. They're not available. You can't buy them. No. So uh, <coughs> what we are imploring people to do is to go into your own supply of gloves, of if you have masks, if you have cavicide, uh, cavilobes, whatever you have, take some of it and donate it to one of these places that need our help because this is the biggest part, in my opinion, um, maybe humble, maybe not, um, that is the biggest 
part of this crisis is protecting the, it's the most existential threat to the to each other and to the economy. Yes, it is the the healthcare workers. If we have too many of these healthcare workers who get infected and either are sick or are dead, um, but once they're infected, the, they're not allowed to no, work. No, the entire healthcare system is going to collapse, and we're going to have a much bigger problem. So we need to address PPE questions now rather than in two weeks. I mean, we may get tests this week. We may get them in two weeks. We may get a vaccine a year from now, but that doesn't matter. Doesn't what doesn't help us at this point. We're, no. we're too late to even implement testing. We are past containment. No, now we have to mitigate. And the mitigation is protecting healthcare workers at all costs. So the system is going to get overwhelmed. The problem is, is that I still see Facebook posts. And again, I understand people have to make a living. I do. But I've seen Facebook books as, as, as recently as yesterday People showing that they're still seeing patients for things like laser procedures and things like that. I would invite you to really consider the fact that your fellow healthcare worker is in desperate need of the PPE you're wearing to do someone's underarms. And that if you donated that, you would help out both yourself because of the economy. If you were somehow were to need that hospital, you'd want to make sure that they were there. And then we all need as a community of healthcare workers to stick together because obviously the government doesn't really want to uh, step up or they would have planned for this ahead of time. We have this, the, we had this uh, presidential power that he can force businesses to make these things, but he's waiting for them to voluntarily comply. I would say the time for that has already passed. So we're not going to get any help from the federal government. You can't buy these things from China. Well, all that's left is the stockpiles that and med spas, have. dentists. Uh, I'm not saying that dentist, <laughs> dentistry is not essential because yeah, I'm a dentist. I think there's many times <laughs> someone has a toothache, things like that. But I'm talking dentistry. about cosmetic dentistry or You're wearing teeth the same PPE or, for a cosmetic dentistry there, as you're you there are for, for canal. You're for your cleaning. I'm not saying it's not important, but for the next two to three weeks to a month or whatever long this thing keeps going, could we possibly consider donating this PPE to people who are th doing things, helping people that are like have in cardiac arrest, gun gunshot victims, people with the, the, the SARS-CoV-2, uh, people who can't breathe. You know, we want to keep this death rate down, but we also have to keep in mind, tomorrow I'm going to get into what how lethal is SARS-CoV-2, and I have good news for you on that, okay? It's good news in the fact that the death rate is much lower than what's being put out there. The bad news is, is that it's being put out there so much higher for nobody. I cannot figure out why things like prevalence and incidence and epidemiology is not that difficult of a science. And the fact that we have the government and, and, and agencies using just horrible math statistics and, and not paying attention to how we report these things. <coughs> and the other thing is we have policies that we only test people that are the sickest. We're not testing everybody. Um, is we're artificially inflating the death rate. I'm not saying that we don't need to take this seriously. We don't want to flatten the curve, but we do need to get a sense of how lethal this is and who's at risk. I just want to look at the facts. That's all I want. I just want the truth of this stuff to make decisions and policies of what we do with our everyday lives and in our work and then under this crisis of what makes sense to what the facts say instead of what just we're just we're listening to political speak where people are just trying to tell us one thing or the other is just because they don't want to incite a panic. The panic is is not knowing. The uncertainty is what's killing people. It's what's ruining the economy. It's the people can handle the facts. They can't handle the change, the ever changing false news, fake news, fake facts that we keep getting put out. The virus is airborne. It transmits both airborne splatter. Um, the six Helpless. feet rule may or you know it does certainly help with social distancing is helping self-isolation these are all good strategies but we need to be realistic about how this works 
existential threat, though, to what's going on to our economy, our country, and each other is we have to protect healthcare workers. So, um, again, I didn't do it this commercial break, but briefly what we're doing is we're selling uh, Steri Stamps. We talked about this. So basically, it's an at-home treatment that you can sell to your patient. We're taking the proceeds from that, the large portion. I'm covering the cost of these things and donating the money to uh, healthcare workers to buy masks and things like that. We've taken what PPE we have. Uh, we'll donate that. We'll continue to do that. I would encourage you um, to try to find ways to to donate these things. I saw something right before I got on air here that was talking about the Million Mask March or something like that, or basically it's a way of collecting these things. I'm uh, tomorrow. I'm, I will have hopefully had a better done a better job of trying to find where do you donate this stuff if you have it. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could just drive up to your hospital. I'm sure they'll take it. But the point is, is that we really have to get together and stick together and come together as a group of practitioners who support each other and realize that there's a significant group of us who are at significant risk. And when they're at risk, the entire, all of us are at risk because if we need that hospital or something goes wrong and they're not there, we're in big trouble. So I strongly encourage you to stop doing elective procedures. Take your PPE, donate it, donate money, donate your time, do what you can to support our fellow healthcare workers. And then tomorrow, we're going to get into the lethality of SARS-CoV-2. Again, I have good news on that. We're going to look at the actual data. We're going to look at how <laughs> prevalence and incidence are actually correctly and appropriately determined. We're also going to look at the fact that until the disease, the pandemic is over, we tend not to have particularly accurate data. And the biggest problem is if we're only testing 0.01% of the population, we have an inflated death rate. Again, that doesn't mean we don't want to flatten the curve, but we also need a sense of if you were to catch this thing, it's the uncertainty of it. Well, I have enough toilet paper. I mean, nobody wants to cover their ass, literally. <laughs> but the issue is, is that these behaviors that we have, these decisions that are being made for us and the decisions that we're making are all under the pretense that we're going to, that we make it really sick and die. What is the chances of that? How many people are getting sick and how many people are actually dying in respect to the whole population, not just to who's been tested, all 400 of them in Arizona? I, we're past the point of, the, of this testing doing any good. So all we can really do is now be realistic about when we look at the data from other countries, people who've already been, the curve has already kind of gone through the acceleration is going in, into the other stages and take that data and apply it to what we got going. Yes, the incidence is going to go up. The prevalence is going to go up. The death rate will have more and more deaths being reported. Now, the rate itself, again, artificially inflated because we're not, we're only testing 0.01% of the population. So, Tomorrow, that's that's tomorrow's podcast. I thank all you happy campers for playing along with us. Um, I bless all of you healthcare workers out there dealing with uh, emergency rooms and hospitals, urgent cares. Uh, you know, we, we want the best for you. And again, please, I urgently beg you to donate your PPE to these people so they have what they need. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Evidence-Based Aesthetics Podcast with your hosts, Kristen and Dr. Larry Group. For more discussion and information on all things aesthetic, be sure to join our Facebook group and follow us on our Instagram page. We look forward to sharing the next exciting episode of the Evidence-Based Aesthetics Podcast.